Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture today is Psalm 13, and as we come to this passage, let us first join together in prayer. Oh God, because you are God, it is your word and your word alone that is life for us. And because you are gracious, we trust that you will speak to us. We are here, oh God. We are listening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us listen now for God's word for us. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. The psalmist asks, how long, O Lord? It is a plea that comes from a weary place, from a place struggling to hold it all together, from a place that says, enough is enough. How long? How long will it be? that we can be together in this sanctuary again. How long will it be that 40 million Americans are unemployed? How long will the death toll of COVID continue to increase and families not even be able to gather for proper funeral services? How long will it be until we're back to normal? As the U.S. death toll of uh, COVID reached over 100,000. The New York Times, in sort of an effort of memorial, they listed a thousand names in just one sentence about those they listed. Gerald Morales, 91, Louisiana, an encyclopedic memory and knowledge of old Hollywood. Eugene Zaha, 78, Oakland, hosted dinners. Basi Afiang, 25, saw his friends at their worst and always brought the best out of them. A thousand names, just 1% of those who have succumbed to this disease in our land that has taken their breath away. Yet sadly, it is clear this is not the only disease that is in our land. We've also learned the name in recent weeks of George Floyd, because with his hands cuffed behind his back, a police kneeled on his neck. Now, were this just an event, 
we would know nothing about it. But George Floyd is just one person who has succumbed to this disease of systemic racism that has infected our lands from the time the first pilgrims disembarked on our sandy shores until this very hour. So we also know names like Breonna Taylor, an EMT in Louisville, Kentucky, shot in her own home as police with a no-knock warrant entered her address. It was the wrong address. And we know of Ahmed Arbery, who was followed by armed men and murdered because he was jogging in their neighborhood. George Floyd said, I can't breathe. And when he stopped breathing, cities across this country began to look like it was 1968 because not enough has changed in this country since 1968. And we are hearing a desperate cry. How long, O Lord? It's a cry that comes from a place of weariness. It comes from a place of struggling to hold it all together, from a place that says enough is enough. Now, we have seen violence and vandalism Fires have been set and looting has occurred. These destructive acts, they help nothing. But the worst thing they could do would be distract us from the real question of our nation. And it would be bad if it distracted us from the reality that most of the protests have been peaceful and most of the police presence at these protests have been restrained and an increasing number of police chiefs, including voices in our own community, have said what happened in Minneapolis was wrong, it was criminal, it is time for that voice to be heard. But rage has erupted not simply because George Floyd couldn't breathe, but because people of color in America can never breathe easily. They fear the pointed knee of supremacy might erase them from the face of the earth because at any misstep or any miscalculation or even misunderstanding. There is a sense among people of color and among white people of goodwill that enough is enough. And on the other side of the rage, on the other side of the exasperation, on the other side of the fatigue, there is a question, can we be better? My friend J. Herbert Nelson, a stated clerk of the Presbyterian Church, he, he says we are witnessing the continued march of hatred. Was it 10 years ago? Was it 10 years ago? George Zimmerman, he followed pursued, and shot Trayvon Martin. Martin never lived long enough to get out of high school. And then George Zimmerman, he auctioned. He auctioned off the gun used to kill this black teenager. He called it a piece of American history and said he would be willing to sell it to any American patriot. And some person thought it was worth more than $100,000 just the, to own the gun killed a black teenager. J. Herbert is right. There is hatred in our land. White supremacists are emerging from the shadows 
with new boldness, with increased numbers, and with no sense of shame. But that is not you. It's not us. We are repulsed by claims of white supremacy. You see, our temptation is different. Because we are not white supremacists, we can maybe assume we're removed from the struggle, but we can't allow that. And because very seldom is it clear to, our, to us just exactly what it is we should do, that sense of helplessness, it, it can allow room for, for apathy. And we can't have that. You know, I, I don't know what Derek Chauvin was feeling as he knelt on George Floyd's neck. But it didn't look like there was hatred in his face. He, he didn't look like he hated him. He, he didn't look like he felt anything. Mr. Floyd didn't matter. It was apathy. As a white man, I can go through my week unaffected by these forces, but no person of color can do that. The hatred of white supremacists cannot be allowed to thrive because of apathy. White supremacy has to be marginalized. I'm learning from my friends at Next Church the reality of privilege that I have. I'm a white guy who moves through the world in a world that puts us at the front of the line. This is what I mean. I was driving home one evening. It was after a session meeting. I remembered that. And right here on Mission Road, I got pulled over, lights flashing. Turns out those little stickers that you're supposed to put on your license tag on the back of the car doesn't count if you're in the glove box. They actually want you to put them on the tag. He asked me for my license and registration and then went back to his car with the lights still flashing. He was back there. It seemed like a half hour. I thought he was working Sudoku puzzles or something. Meanwhile, it seemed like half of Johnson County and all of Village's Session drives by and sees me there with the flashing lights. It was embarrassing. You know, another time, I was taking a jog, and it was, it was about the time that school let out, and I, I saw a car coming toward me, and as they got near, I could see there were probably students from, from high school, and, and as they got close to me, they started slowing down and actually stopped, and, and I, I thought, you know, they're looking at this gray-headed guy making a pretty good clip. They probably were going to say, man, you're looking good. But instead, this kid looked out the window and he said, Mister, are you all right? <laughs> I don't think that kid's going to heaven. Here's the thing. I was embarrassed to be pulled over by the police, but I wasn't afraid. I was amused by the care, even if insulting, by these young whippersnappers who still have spring in their step. I wasn't afraid. 
the fact that I can go through my day largely assuming the world has room for me is a privilege that is not granted to every American. Every friend of color I have says that they cannot breathe easily for fear that simply being who they are makes others suspicious. I don't know, but I've probably been preaching about nine minutes now. And that's about how long George Floyd had that knee on his neck. How long? How long will we battle this disease that all too often proves deadly? How long will it take for us as America to become the nation we know we can be? I found myself many times over the last 12 weeks wondering, when are we ever going to get back to normal? But this week, I've realized even that is a question of privilege because we haven't really been normal. We've, we've normalized too many of the wrong things. Normal isn't back somewhere. We haven't gotten there yet, but we could. The psalm it begins with heartbreak, how long? It ends with, I will sing to the Lord of the Lord's steadfast love and salvation. That's a pretty common transition in Scripture. Those who find themselves on the bottom at, at a place of weariness, at a place struggling to hold it all together, at a place of exhaustion and exasperation, a place where enough is enough, they name that. And then they say, I will sing praise to God, the source of my hope and steadfast love, the source of my salvation. That is not naivete. That is not wishful thinking. It is a song of protest that rises up to the very ear of God, who is our hope and our salvation. COVID-19 is a new virus that makes it difficult to breathe and it attacks anyone. But systemic racism is a very old virus that has made it difficult for people of color to breathe easily. How long? How long until all of God's children can walk through their day trusting that the world has made room for them? How long? until the breath that God has breathed into us all will no longer be threatened by hatred or apathy? How long until all of God's children can breathe freedom and breathe justice? I don't know. But the first step is we have to be sure that all are able to breathe. And then with that breath, Maybe we can learn to sing together to the God of our salvation, to the God of steadfast love. But first, we all have to be able to breathe. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe 
Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, it's, it's hard to know what to do. And there are no clear steps that we all can take. But we can do something. And so we at Village, we have pulled together a collection of resources. They'll be on our website. And so here's what I invite you to do. Pick 10 days, 10 days over the next two weeks. And each day, check one of these resources. There's sermons to read, podcasts to listen to, videos to watch, books if you'd like to know more. We invite you to take 10 days and each day do something that broadens your understanding of what it is to live as a person of color in this world. You know, America is racist, and we are all caught by that reality. The consequences for White people and people of color are not the same, but we are all caught by that reality. No encounter between a white person and a person of color is neutral. No, it is filled with experiences that are real but are often unshared. So we invite you to take 10 days out of the next couple of weeks, Monday through Friday if that works for you. And we invite you to to do what St. Francis once prayed. Endeavor to understand before we seek to be understood. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.